Uh, If you have a Bible, you can be making your way to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your worship guide. It's printed there for you. We're in the middle of this series through the New Testament letter of James to the um, churches around Jerusalem. And uh, one thing that we've seen James do is at the very beginning of this letter, he kind of, it's almost like he introduces all the themes that he wants to cover in the first chapter. And then systematically begins to unfold them throughout the rest of the book at different places. And it's no different here. He's going to talk about our words. And he already mentioned our words. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Um, And now he wants to do the deep dive uh, on the things that come out of our mouths. I don't know about you, but when we read the the Ninth Commandment uh, Confession of Faith earlier from the Heidelberg Catechism, that's, you know... That's pretty hard. That's pretty indicting. Um, the words that come out of our mouths can be glorious and terrible. And it can happen within a split second. Uh, let's, let's read what James has to say to us in his word. And remember that this is the only hope that we have in the midst of our battle with our words is to hear God's word to us. <clears throat> Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We ask now, our Father, that you'd give us the help of the Holy Spirit, that um, what is true would be uh, illuminated to us here in your word, um, that I, you might apply it to our hearts, that, um, that we might actually turn more into people who look like our King and Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is our hope and the one in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, someone passed me a quote from a guy that I sometimes read uh, this, this week. He's a cultural commentator type guy, and I, I'm not certain what he was talking about for the rest of the article, but this quote was great, and, and so I'm going to read it to you. This is what he says. He's being tongue-in-cheek, funny. Words are all we've got, 
As humans, among our comparative evolutionary advantages, opposable thumbs, walking upright, evaporative sweat, omnivorous teeth, etc., words have to be near the top. Words turn experiences into transferable lessons and rules. They let us explain how to do things or avoid doing other things without having to do them first. And when we figured out how to put words in books, we really took off as a species. Try explaining how to build a nuclear reactor without words. Take my word for it, it's hard. Longest game of charades ever. That's great. You just have a vision of someone trying to act out building a nuclear reactor. Um, we, we, he's saying something that we know. Words are important. We use them all the time. But you know what words are like? It's like breathing. Being a verbal person and communicating is like breathing. We almost never think about it. And when we do think about it, um, we don't necessarily have a lot in the tank to, to, to fix it, to make it right. We, we, just, we just do it. We, we speak. We're verbal people. It's what we do. Just like we breathe because we need oxygen in our lungs. Part of the glory of humanity, the thing that separates, one of the things that separates us from the rest of creation is our ability to communicate, to be verbal. Part of the glory of humanity and, as you know, part of the misery of humanity, right? Because we can build some great things with our words and we can bring utter destruction with them too. You could argue that um, if you and I sat down and you made a list of all the things you're trying to get control of in your life, I want to be better at this, I want to, you know, I want to be better at this kind of New Year's resolution type thing. Um, I could make my list, we could compare them. Both of us, if we, if we started to talk about the way we speak to others, it's just likely that we would say, don't put that on the list because I don't know that I can really fix that. The hardest thing to control is what we say, our words to other people. James knows this, he wants to talk about it, and he says, whatever you say, you're always saying more than you know, always. And, and because that's the case, we're going to have to learn how to bring even our, our words and where they come from into submission to Jesus. That, that's, that's the big idea here. So uh, to walk through that idea, we're going we're gonna to talk about the possibilities of our words, the risks of them, and finally get down to, well, what's the source of them? So first, the, the possibilities. This is a uh, two, two birds, one stone moment for James. He mentions in verse 1, he wants to talk about a specific issue in their church. Apparently, they have a lot of people that want to be teachers. And, and this is in a church, teachers of the Bible, teachers of theology of the truth. And remember, their Jewish background for a lot of them. And so it's kind of a privileged position. I mean, you think about the tradition of, of being a rabbi. Uh, that, that's like a pastor on steroids for their communi community. I mean, it's not just that he teaches. It's that he is the, he's the leader of their entire, you know, kind of collective universe. And um, they have a lot of people that want to do that kind of thing, to have the responsibility, the authority, maybe the, the clout from it. And, and he wants them to know, uh, don't, don't assume that you should, because if you do teach, you'll be judged by God with greater strictness. There, there's a high responsibility to this. Um, more words, more opportunity to tell people who God is and how to follow him, and more opportunity to say something wrong or confusing or unhelpful and to lead people astray. 
right? So it's, it's a burden to, to do that kind of thing. He just wants them to know not, not all of you should do this. Some of you should, but not all of you. And, and really what's interesting about this is that he, he takes that specific issue for their church, which we could talk about for a different sermon here. That's the, the launching place for this whole other discussion that he wants to have. Um, not many of you should teach. Our words are important. Let's talk about how our words are important for a minute. That, that's kind of what he's setting up here. And so he begins to, to, to talk about the tongue. Look at verse 2. Um, if anyone does not stumble in his words, he is perfect. That's a, that's a high statement, right? He's saying if you can contain and restrain your words, you're able to contain and restrain your entire existence, your whole life. Um, if you can control your words, you can control your, your body. Yeah, we still believe this at some level. Think about our own world. Many of you have jobs where you're one, you're one word away from getting fired. One word, right? You say the wrong word, it's over, right? You, you, you have one phrase that is misunderstood even, and you're shunned by whatever you know, your job community happens to be, uh, removed, shamed, attacked, such that if we see someone who navigates their whole world and they never get in trouble with their mouth, we look at them kind of, oh man, you're doing it. You've got it under control. Um, It's a high premium given to words. This is a human standard that we have, whether we're conscious of it or not, that what we say matters. And to control your words is to control your life. And, and, And he presents this in terms of the possibility of our words, that this little thing in our faces, our tongue, is the direction setter for our entire lives, for good and bad, but, but for good. And consider those things. I mean, he, a, a bit in the mouth of a horse. You can direct the gigantic, powerful animal wherever you want it to go. The little rudder in the ship directs the ship however it should go. Uh, it sets a course. This is how the tongue works. You can rally people, defend justice, um, promote a cause, do good, build great things, speak truth, create movements and machinations of humanity, and all of it can be done verbally. Study the great speeches of human history. Um, to the churches, this is why not many should be teachers, because when they teach, they hold life and death in their hands. It's a big deal. God will hold them to account. But, but more than teachers, the, the tongue is the small part of the body that gives us all the possibilities. And it's worth just camping on that for a second and saying, do you realize that every job you've ever had, you got because you were able to communicate something to your potential employer? Um, Every job you ever got, every relationship that you've ever had came about because of words that came out of your mouth or did not come out of your mouth. Uh, Everything that we have ever accomplished has come about because we are verbal communicative people. This is how the world works. When we say yes to something, we open up a whole strand of possibilities. When we say no to something else, we we limit certain things and direct a course. And it's this way because we're made in the image of a God who speaks. Again, that's that's the key creational difference here between us and, and the beasts, right? That God spoke everything into existence. He upholds everything. By his word of power, the scriptures tell us. He, he is redeeming broken things by speaking. It was this way in the beginning. The, our, our first father's job was to order the new creation that, that was in the garden there by naming the animals. First job. And, and he does that. And the second time we hear him speak, 
It's actually the first time we hear him speak. The second time he speaks is when God presents to him the woman. And he speaks um, poetry, beauty, value, and delight. Those first two chapters, there aren't many words, but the words that are there are, are pretty incredible. Ordering all of creation to rule and subdue it and, and speaking value, life, and beauty to the woman who, who is created and given to him. The possibilities for our words are endless. It's true. And so are the risks. And that's the part that James really wants to hammer on. This is not a positive passage. This is a passage filled with, with warning. Uh, James is not a, uh, what we might call a sunshine pumper. Um, he, he wants us to know the risks primarily. So let's talk about our words in the middle of a broken and shattered world. He says it in verse 5. It's a small spark that sets an entire forest ablaze. Uh, something small leads to a giant fire. The tongue is a fire, he says, lest we miss the metaphor, right? Like, this is what is the problem. It's, it's your words. It's your mouth. Set on fire by hell itself, by the enemy. Um, that's a pretty big risk. We know that fire is good, but have you ever experienced a forest fire? Have you ever had property that was um, you know, endangered by a wildfire, uh, even in our own area here? My, um, my brother and I, primarily my brother, uh, we, we had my dad raised some pigs when we were really young, and they were in a field in a, in a pen next to a mountain. And our job was to go feed the pigs and then burn the bags of feed that we always had left over. So we did, we meaning him, did that. And he set it on fire, and it was a little windier than we expected, and we may or may not have been too young to be doing this on our own. I'm not certain about that, lest I uh, weigh in on it. Um, the sparks flew into the woods, and before we knew it, the entire mountain was on fire. Fire trucks, bulldozers, earth-moving machines to cut it off. And for a little boy, it was, it was an apocalyptic scene of doom and misery. This is how it all goes down. We're all going to die in this gigantic fire that I may have helped set, right? Um, I don't think we think of our words that way, right? We think of them, yeah, they're bad, but they're not that bad. They're not apocalyptically awful. And James would have us understand, no, 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 no. They are apocalyptically awful. One word can burn it all down. One phrase can end a business arrangement. One word can end a relationship. One outburst can change your entire family trajectory. One, one moment of weakness can have your children in counseling. An entire future could be ruined by one moment. Many of you know the name Michael Richards Kramer from Seinfeld who after that show did stand-up comedy again. And he had a night where he had some hecklers. And they got to him. And he got mad. And so he tried to kind of one-up them and go a little louder and a little crazier than they were. And so he, he let out a racist rant. And uh, years afterward, he was being interviewed about that incident. And, and this is his words. He said, I busted up after that event. It broke me down. It was such a selfish response, and inside, it still kicks me around. And his career changed. You can bet you're not getting invited to comedy clubs or to do certain things after you've had that moment. When you're the guy that gives the, the one 
racist rant because they made you mad and you just lost your mind. You're not getting invited back. That, that's what James wants us to understand. One, you're, we, set, we set the world on fire with our words. Uh, the other idea he uses here is, the, is it's not tamed. And he gives a great little creational thought in verse 7 that we have this ability to subdue and, and rule and tame all kinds of animals. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've thought about that. We have tamed killer whales. They have the word killer in the name. And you can go and watch them at a place. And, and we have people who stick their heads in the mouths of tigers and lions. You can go witness all of these things. And no one can tame the tongue. A human being can tame all these animals. You cannot tame one tiny body part of your very body. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Speaking of deadly poison, you can tame a king cobra. You can teach it not to bite someone. And, and, and it's almost like what he's saying is that you can tame something whose mouth is literally filled with deadly poison such that it doesn't kill you, and yet you can't stop the deadly poison from flowing out of your own mouth. It's a severe risk every time we speak. We set it on fire or breathe out poison. You feel that. You, you, you have felt it. You've, you've experienced it from others. Someone has said something to you that you've never forgotten. There's also a good chance that you have said something that someone has never forgotten. Let's just remove a, a fight or drama from, from some, some phrases. Think about the long-term impact of just a couple of phrases. And these are lightweights. Um, I don't love you anymore. And you never get over it. I'm so disappointed in you. You are worthless. Even said in a cool moment where nobody is angry, those are some phrases that you might never forget. Why? Because the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison, and it sets the world on fire, and we are guilty. We do it too. Here's, here's a couple of questions for us. Do, all of us have different personalities, temperaments, proclivities. Do you know what untamed animal your tongue becomes? Do you know your own tendencies? Right, so, um, so for some of you, uh, does your mouth become the roaring lion of rage? Right, like that's, that's your go-to. And people just kind of always feel your anger and um, they must feel your wrath, right? For some of you, you are the, the grizzly bear of chronic grumpiness, right? That one might hit close to home for me. I remember reading a book by C.S. Lewis one time and he, he's describing this person who grumbles so much that he, he, they grumble and grumble and grumble, and then they turn into, his phrase, they turn into an infinite grumble, existing off into eternity. And I read that, and I thought, Does he, have we met? Does he know me? I think, I think he's talking about me there. Some of you are the, the, the sneaky, tricky snake of deception, and just lying is the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, some, perhaps it's the constantly laughing but always kind of sneering hyena or the quiet, cynical, passive-aggressive house cat or the secret-telling, gossiping parrot. We could actually tame all of those animals, but we can't tame the form that our own tongue takes when it begins to lash out and do evil to others. Uh, do you see it 
And do you see the destruction it causes? And here's, a, here's another question. How do you evaluate it? And this is the case for if you're a Christian or, or not a Christian. How do you evaluate uh, your own words? Because and I think that this is something that we do. We only go horizontal. We never go vertical. And so we might say, well, I mean, I didn't cuss at my kids today like that guy did, right? Or I would never speak to my spouse the way that that person did. Or I can't believe that she said that to her. Who does she think she is? I mean, we only go horizontal. And so we're always going to look better than somebody, right? Presumably. But we never go vertical. Um, What do you do with the wreckage that's caused by your words? And how do you evaluate it? Where do you go when you realize, yeah, I'm kind of a train wreck with my words? Do you just try harder? Do you try to stop saying bad things, start saying good things, right? We need more than that. James' point is, is to say this. You, you're not in control of them. You're not. We might think we are. We're not in control of what is coming out of our mouths. And, and that begs a question. So where do they come from? And that's, that's the last thing that he wants to talk about. Let's talk about the source of our words. Um, metaphors that he mentions here in 11 and 12. These are natural metaphors. A spring. We're in the mountains. We have springs here. They don't pour forth salt water and fresh water, like you can get a cup of each depending on what time you show up. No, no, no. It's either a freshwater spring or maybe down closer to the ocean, it's, it's salt water. Verse 12, a fig tree can't bear olives. You're either a fig tree or an olive tree. Um, uh, these are things to say the, the, the universe exists in such a way that a plant produces of its kind, and that's not what we do. In fact, look at verse 10. He says, with our mouths, we do the greatest thing a human can do. We bless our Lord and Father. We, we worship. We call him God. We, we love him. We, we say we adore him. We, we bless his name. And um, with the same mouth, sometimes within the same moment, we turn and do the worst thing a human can do. We curse someone who is uh, stamped with the likeness of God in his or her very being. And, and we do both. Blessing and curse from the same mouth. We, we, are, we are duplicitous. Double, double-tongued. Why are we double-tongued? James will get there in the next chapter or so, but let, let's hear the answer from James' half-brother, uh, Jesus. He says it this way. Well, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. We're double-tongued because we're double-hearted. The problem isn't what we're saying. The problem is the factory where the words are invented and and manufactured and mass-produced and and shipped. In the Hebrew conception, the heart is center of the being. It contains your your, your thinking, your feeling, your doing. All of that is is one kind of central location in their mind. And it's the heart. And what that means is that Whatever you actually say is what you actually think and feel and believe. And it's true online, too. Whatever you say online, you're saying it. It's it's, it's you. And it's coming from the heart. And and that is a a damning statement. Because when, when someone says an evil thing and then they say, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, you did. Of course we did. Our words come from the heart. And now... When we realize that, there's a couple of things we can do. 
Um, so sometimes I drive up Highway 197 here in Clarksville, and um, you know, if you've been there, there are places where Highway 197 and the Sequoia River come in parallel. So you're driving alongside the river. Multiple times this has happened to me. I've driven during a rainstorm. And so I come to this one spot in the river, and I see that it is just raging. I mean, it's that orange, chocolatey, frothy, just a rager. And then the river kind of goes off the highway, and then it comes back in at a later point. And at that later point, sometimes I've looked at the river, and it might be high water because of the rain, but it's not that orange, frothy, chocolatey, raging thing. And the first time I saw it, I I thought, I'm losing my mind. Right? Like, I, th- how is this even biologically possible? And, and then later than it should have, it hit me. Oh, there must have been a place where I couldn't see it, where another stream came into the river. And maybe there were, you know, someone was building a house or there was uh, an open spot in the dirt. And so the, the mud flowed into the river. What was happening downstream was caused by what was happening upstream. So here's what you can do. How do you get the mud out of the river? You could come to the low part and try to get each particle of red clay out of the water, right? You just kind of sift through it all somehow. You know, this is how we're going to clean it up. Or you could go to the place where the mud comes in and sow some grass or put down some silt screen or something like that and stop the flow of the mud. I I think that with our words, we spend, even as Christians, we spend the bulk of our time down here looking at all of our words and the wreckage we cause and trying to just stop saying this and start saying this and just, just fix it. And why can't I say the right thing at the right time? And we might never go to the source and try to see the, the source itself changed. And That's what we're invited to. James is very clear. No human being can tame the tongue. That must mean one thing. Only God can tame the tongue. If the problem is that we speak out of the overflow of our hearts, then it's not just we need to change our words. We're going to need a new heart. right? The inside has to change. And the good news is that we're told that Jesus Christ came to bring a new covenant where he takes out hearts of stone And he puts in hearts of flesh, and eventually that new heart will begin to speak and overflow. And it it might be fresh water. Over time, it will be fresh water. Um, If we would ever stop using angry words to destroy, we're going to have to have our anger met with the gospel of the grace of God to melt such an angry heart. If if we're ever going to Stop condescending slander and gossip that we have. We're going to have to have ourselves humbled by the mercy of God in our great need. And it's going to have to begin with us knowing the one who, using James' words, never stumbled in what he said, but was a perfect man who bridled his whole body. There was only one, and he's not us. The only one who always blessed his Lord and Father and never in this way cursed uh, people who are made in the likeness of God. You think about the life of Jesus. He, he spoke some pretty pointed words. I mean, he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers and did that in such a way that he wasn't sinful or wrong. He was not afraid to say hard things. He um, met the woman at the well with a, a combination of exposure of her sin. You've had five husbands. And 
Would you like living water? The offer of mercy. He taught the crowds with patience. He unveiled mysteries to his disciples who wanted to know. He veiled mysteries to people who thought they knew everything. The second Adam did everything perfectly with his words. And then people with their mouths threw curses at him. And with their mouths, they mocked him. Jesus, or John says in his gospel that Jesus, the very embodiment of the creative word of God, came to his own. His own people received him not. Instead, they mocked him with their words. They spit on him with their mouths. They whipped him with their hands. And according to an, ir, an, an unjust judicial system with governmental uh, T's crossed and I's dotted, they hung him on a Roman cross and killed him. That's the life of our Lord Jesus and his death. And even at the trial, with unjust, untrue accusations, when he could have spoke and bent everyone to his will, like a sheep before its shears, he was silent and entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Why? Because his job was to drink the cup that the Father had for him. His job was to undergo the crucifixion, to be raised on the third day, and and to make good for us the very things that he spoke at the end. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so that when he said in the last breath, it is finished, it really would be. We'll never be perfect in this life with our words. And so we're going to have to trust someone who was. Jesus was always perfect. You can always trust his righteousness and never your own. Um, he paid the penalty for all of our false worship and foolish words, and he promises to make us like he is. Um, a heart that believes, a mouth that confesses that Jesus is Lord. That, that's what we're offered today. And from the overflow of a new heart, a mouth that speaks life, that goes back to the possibilities, that can speak truth, that can speak good news to a world that needs it, that can bring living water to a dry and thirsty land that we live in. That's what we're offered. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, it's a good day to believe, and we'd love to talk to you more about about who Jesus is. If if you're a Christian and you would have to say, uh, listen, there's a lot of muddy water, you know, a lot of fresh and salt, it's a mix. It's a good day to go through the ordinary motion of the Christian life. Repent and believe. Turn from it and go back to to Jesus who promises a new heart, a righteousness not your own, and and all of the things that we see throughout the scriptures by by faith alone. Um, Confess them and trust him to make you look like him. We're verbal people made by the God who speaks and redeemed by the word made flesh. And the possibilities are endless, but the risks are real. Um, Give every word over to Jesus. And and trust him to to give you a new heart that over time will begin to speak life-giving, kingdom-oriented good news uh, to yourself and to the world around you. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that though we cannot tame the tongue, you can. And so um, I pray for anyone here who does not have a new heart and therefore has no hope of having new words. Would you give that gift? Would you 
Take out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. Would you give ears that can hear, eyes that can see, hearts that believe? And for those who are here who would have to say, um, we're not as far along in our growth as we wanted to be. Would you give us the grace to go back and look at Christ and his perfections? To know the justification that is ours by faith in him. That you love us, we are accepted. His righteousness is our hope. His death uh, is the payment for our sins. And would you, by your grace, grow us up uh, to look more like him. We pray that through Christ our Lord. Amen.